Hello and welcome to another episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast, where we discuss common fulfillment operations challenges and how to fix them. Our guest today is Ashley Zager, Senior Director of Operations for City Capital, a growth equity firm that helps innovative brands in the food and beverage sector grow to the next level. Ashley works with brands in the city profile, advising on a range of operational issues, including fulfillment. Over 17 years, she's managed global logistics for over 45 companies, so she has a lot of great information to share. Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're excited. We're looking forward to the next segment here and what we'll cover, so let's get right into it. Do growth-minded brands know how to grow? How gray can I be in answering You know, there's so many different ways to grow. We see companies that have emerged, especially in the last few years, hyper-focused on D to C. We've worked with brands who are extremely focused on food service. They are in college campuses and in stadiums and then COVID hit. So they might have thought that they were growth-minded and ready to go and COVID came along. We pivoted to 12-ounce units instead and started shipping out to customers online. So I think they are. I think we never know what's coming around the corner. But by the time we're done today, they will know how to grow. And for Amworth, that's our value proposition, right? We help brands grow. We take care of the back end of the business so they can really focus on what they do best. Our listeners are largely people who oversee B2C fulfillment. So what are the common mistakes that you see that our listeners should really try to avoid? I think... No matter how great the fulfillment center is, and I do love Amware, that an API connection is never an easy plug-in. So really making sure when you start with a new warehouse, you even start launching a new product, you don't just plug it in and walk away. Clear out your schedule. Don't do any other new plans. New promotions should be running. Like You should just be focused. Watch every order that goes over. Make sure it lines up. Make sure the alias works. The kidding instructions are solid. And take everything as slow as you can, even when technology and everything we hope is is easy and on our easy to happen. But yeah, I'd also say customization, making it repeatable can really help you out at a warehouse. You want that team to be trained, know what they're doing, be very familiar with your products. And so when we try to overly customize a million different options that all go in their own special box, like you're really just setting yourself up for more points of failure. So the more that you can do on repeat will really help you not make any mistakes and, and not make your warehouse have mistakes either. So it's like, how can you set them up for success as keeping what you're doing pretty easy? Some other things that people will do, common mistakes, is looking for a warehouse partner and just looking for the lowest bid. This will be the cheapest out the door price. So this is what I need. So once you've seen a couple of different warehouse bids, you know, you can learn to see what is storage, what is pick and pack. There's a lot of different things that go into making up that price. So if somebody starts selling you on each order processed is going to be a dollar fifteen or three dollars and fifty cents, like that's not really where the decision starts or ends. You've got to know what kind of business you need. If you need D to C, if you need wholesale, if you need kidding, stickering, repackaging even return processing. 
I honestly work with a lot of food and beverage companies, so I don't have to work with the return processing. But every time I order clothes online, I try to get it back in that bag so the barcode will be there. So it'll be easy for the fulfillment center to take it back in. So thinking through like that entire customer experience and what your warehouse is going to go through and being a partner through that will help you really determine which bids, which warehouse, what your needs will be. The other common mistake when people are choosing warehouses would be how many do I need? I have a big client base, so I need one in every corner of the U.S., but there's a laundry list and six hours of podcasts to make that decision. Yeah, if I can just add to some of what you said, I mean, it's right on about the API connection, testing, 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 right? And your point about monitoring what's been sent and what's coming back is really, really critical. We've got customers that do 10, 20,000 orders a day. That's a lot of data that you're exchanging. And you just want to make sure that everything that gets sent gets received and sent back. And you're at least watching it as you get off the launch pad to make sure that everything that should be working it is working right. We specialize in customization, but you're right. If you make every customer a one-off and you're trying to do thousands of these a days, it's going to get either very, very expensive or it's going to take very, very long. But There's a certain amount of customization you can do for your customers that becomes almost repeatable, believe it or not. So it's almost repeatable customization, if you will, and that works well. The lowest bid is not necessarily the lowest cost, right? It's all about value, spot on with that. And yeah, the spreading the inventory, the more warehouses you get into, the more difficult and more complex it does become to manage that inventory. So spot on. I mean, those are some great things for customers to watch. Well, now that we've talked about some of the don'ts, how about some of the do's? What advice would you have for listeners managing the order fulfillment function that they should really focus in on on the positive side? On the positive side is a positive relationship. And so being a partner with your warehouse, knowing who your reps are, getting to know them, frequent conversations. We don't all want to be on calls and phone calls every day, but spending that time to get acquainted. As I said, it's important for the warehouse to know and understand your products. It's important for them to know what's coming, just to be an extra set of eyes and ears in this world, especially where we are all working remote these days and we've got warehouses all over the country. You know, something might get shipped in that doesn't look right, that a bottle came from China and doesn't have your logo on it. So like building that relationship with a warehouse who cares just as much as you care and you trust them that they're going to pull that off the line and send photos and text messages and say like, hey, something's going wrong here. So one of the things that I really like to do when building a relationship, a new one or a continued relationship with the warehouse is really make a product guide. So I'll make a PowerPoint presentation so it's really easy to print out, but like with SKU numbers, with pictures, like this is the SKU number, this is the thing, this is what it looks like. If there's any call outs, this was an old version we had, this was a new version. And I'm sure we've all walked around warehouses, the best ones have those pictures printed out. If it's on the kidding line, if it's in the receiving area, just any kind of guide that you can make those SOPs for like, this is what it is. This is how you process it. It may only be like three or four bullets, but if you can write it down, work with your partners that they understand it and know it, you can expect that to be continued and happen day to day when you're not there. So everything that we do is really built around that relationship. 
on the first two weeks and focusing on the new warehouse. A couple things I would add to that is don't be ashamed to show up and actually participate in the launch. Some 3PLs may get a little uncomfortable and that's good because no one should be comfortable during a launch. That's the time that mistakes happen. Your business, right? Your customers are getting product from a third-party provider for the first time. Let's make sure it's right. Let's make sure people are trained well. I think your idea about visuals is phenomenal. We're, we're a visual culture. We love to look at pictures and having pictures of the product and what it looks like, to your point, is just spot on. It's great. Would definitely do that. The other thing that I find is very effective is sending test orders to your own company, to your own people as part of that whole testing process. Let the CEO get a test order. Let everybody kind of see what a test order, how it's going to come. Because at that point, you can say, I like this. I don't like that. Let's focus on this as opposed to hearing it from your customers for the first time. So those are a couple of more points that you might want to really focus in on. Did we talk about technology everywhere you can? I would say that before we jump to that one, I would say yes on the test orders. Do it early and do it often, not just test orders to start. It's funny. I just literally ran down to my front door 45 minutes ago and grabbed a box that shipped out as a new product launching. Wanted to see it, got it out to some of our teammates so we could, went through it. Everything was there. Everything was in the right order. More with those pictures, leaning on the designers to build a picture blowout of like, this is what the kit should look like. This is on top of this. This is on top of this. And it's okay if you don't have a designer. iPhone takes some really good photos, edit, crop. I've made some things that look much better when a designer gets them, but they work either way. So And then those test orders often and repeating, you know, same thing. I will just get orders randomly from warehouses and realize, wait, this packing slip lost our logo somehow. But if you are not a customer of your own brand and just kind of seeing those things, you might realize this went the wrong shipping method. This was scuffed up, whatever it is. Yeah. Do those orders early and often to make sure that they all work. When we're approached by a new prospect, we'll order product. If we think that there's a path to potentially go forward, we'll order product to see how it's currently being done. Gives us good insight into how we would value that process and then where we might be able to make recommendations for improvement. And so it's important to us. And the communication, you can't stress often enough, right? Talking to your warehouse, probably formal, not so much informal, but having a formal conversation a couple times a week is really critical. You can't over-communicate. If we know as warehousemen, as fulfillment companies, what's coming down the pike and we get feedback, we can always respond and react and do the right thing. But when we're in the blind and you know we don't know what's happening out there and there's an expectation, well, you guys are the pros, yeah, that's when things can tend to not align and you get frustrations as a result of that. Yeah, definitely. And one thing we do in that constant communication, back to that use technology everywhere idea, is we keep notes. It's a best practice that I've learned in life of like running notes documents for everything. And so I have a shared notes document with the warehouse. And every time we get on the phone, I jump in there and take notes and have follow ups. So the next time we get on the phone, We first go to the follow-ups. Did these happen? Do we need something else? And then throughout the week, if I know like, oh, I'm talking to the warehouse tomorrow, I'll make sure to mention to them, this is inbound and they probably forgot to put a SKU number on it. (laughs) This ASN, surprise, is two containers instead of one. You can jot those notes, leave them as a running agenda. Other people can pop in there, but you can also do that handy control F 96 pages ago. This is when we talked about this thing and go back because there's so much to talk about all the time. 
great advice there. I hope some of our listeners are taking notes because writing it down and then reviewing the open issues on the next available call gets them closed out or at least doesn't let things slip through the crack because you're always going over the open items. It sets a pace. It sets an expectation. All those notes, to your point, puts everybody on the same page. Everybody is aligned. Everybody's looking at the same thing. Everybody has the same objective at that point. Very, very powerful, very effective. You know, and it's kind of like the last thing. It's teamwork. It's a partnership. And both partners have to work at it, right? Both partners have to be a party to what's happening. And so both parties work towards making it great. I think that may be, of all the things I think my customers may think is the one thing that I should be delivering, and that is, it's almost like going to school and sitting there and saying, okay, teach me. I mean, if you want to learn anything, you have to put into it. And if you want your partnership to work, both have to put into it. We're really great at what happens in data communications and what goes on in the four walls and getting it to your customer, but we don't know your markets as well as you do. We don't know your end customers as well as you do. So when you bring clarity and focus to that, and we bring clarity and focus to how it gets done, I think that's when you really get brands to grow and things go well. What do you believe about B2C fulfillment that most people might not? The one thing that sometimes I bite my tongue a little bit about, and then when people get my full opinion, they kind of raise an eyebrow on me. But I would say, I don't believe all the hype with green packaging. So we've learned so much and this goes down to the product level as well, like before the fulfillment. But, you know, using that recycled box, it may take more energy to make a recycled box than it does to use a virgin board sometimes to make that seaweed wrapper that is going to disintegrate in six months. You can't order for a year's worth at a time and store them. So, you know, you've got multiple trucks on the road delivering small quantities, using more fuel and creating emissions. So maybe that short shelf life, super unique, special packaging doesn't help like the product inside, especially if it's food and beverage as well. So some of those sustainability initiatives, I think you can sell them one way. But if we look at them holistically, they're not always the greatest win. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at AmwareFulfillment.com. I'm 100% aligned with you on sustainability. Common sense sustainability is really what it's all about. There's plenty of recycling that goes on at the end use. When you step back from a lot of the euphoria about sustainability and recycling, you're right. Sometimes it takes more energy, more effort to recycle product than going virgin. Listen, paper is very renewable. We have more trees today than we had thousands of years ago. We plant forests, we manage them. And I think as a result of that, we've probably got the lowest cost and the best repeatable process for that stuff in and of itself. So I'm with you. All sustainability and recyclability should come with common sense. I know they recycle straws and things like that and plastics. And I always wonder when I'm sipping through a straw where it was before. I mean, to me, it's okay if it's brand new and it's clean, recycle it into something else. But 
Yeah, I'm with you. Apply some common sense and you'll be fine. Let's jump over to one large expense that's associated with B2C that brick and mortar never really had to experience, and that's parcel shipping. It's the single biggest logistic expense. You shared an example of how you saved one brand $10,000 per week in parcel spend. Can you share that story? So we were working with this brand and they had grown quickly an all-in-one parcel contract. So they had never gone back to renegotiate it. They had trained their customer service team on this is how we use, this is how you track orders. This is who we use. This is how you track orders. These are the websites. These are the tools. And they didn't really want to shake it up. They said, you know, we're doing such volume. We've grown so quickly. We just want to leave it as is. And so their solve for if anyone complained like, oh, I need it faster. It was like, great, speed up the service instead of what if we looked at some different carriers? So we ended up taking this brand from their one carrier, one method of shipping to three carriers, multiple methods of shipping, sharing our own contracts plus contracts at the warehouse. And I would say this is something as well for younger brands that don't have the oomph established to really negotiate contracts with parcel carriers is to lean into the warehouse. Like you said, single brands, you see them doing 10 to 20,000 shipments a week. So I don't even know what would be an average number of shipments the whole warehouse is shipping out per day, like lots, tens of thousands. You are going to be able to negotiate that contract far better than a startup. So yeah, we leaned into different contracts, the brand's own, plus some at the warehouse, and then looked at like a decision matrix. So rather than on the website, having the customer response be, you know, free shipping or two-day shipping, we gave a bigger range. We worked with these subscriptions are going to ship out on this day. They're going to zone skip and get there with a different carrier so that we could still use that matrix of here's the decision. The decision is it needs to land in this many days. It wants to be around this price. Is it a subscription or a first-time order? So usually your subscription orders you know when they're shipping, you can ship them a little bit slower, ship them a day or two earlier, and the customer still gets it on the first of the month whenever they were anticipating it. And then, yeah, that first time, wow them, get it there however you need to in two to three days if that needs to be the experience. But rather than looking at it from a, this is the carrier we use, this is how we've trained customer service, figure out your matrix, like ask the why of Why do we want to get it there? How fast do we need to get it there? Feel free to mix carriers, mix zones, do your research. And yeah, we saved them $10,000 a week just by mixing up their carriers. That's great advice. And some of the things that third-party providers like Amware bring to the table, I'm bigger than any customer I have, right? Makes sense. I have 200 customers and I do 17 million shipments a year. That's a lot of parcel purchasing power that does make the parcel carriers salivate. They want that business. It's good business. So partnering with a third-party provider will get you access to discounts and savings. And then to your point, the ability to mix carriers and do different things because of the technology we have is something that our customers can take advantage of. I'm going to back up a little bit and go back to the sustainability and parcel cost. Probably the best thing that you can do is make sure your boxes are the right size, right? I can't tell you how many cartons I open up from the Smiley Company and the do-it-yourself company and the box is 50% air. There's something in there. Somebody shoved a little paper in. I'm not sure why, but somebody's paying for a lot of air to be shipped. So making those boxes the right size is a sustainable thing and it's a cost savings thing. 
Sure. And that goes right back to negotiating contracts or leaning into someone with more power to get a better dimensional denominator than you. I did run into a company. They were using an 11 by 16 mailer and their dimensional rate was based off of 160. So 11 times 16 is over 160. And so immediately if they put a cracker or a hair tie in that mailer, they were shipping at a two pound rate. So too much packaging, the wrong packaging, the wrong contract. There's a million different ways to look at it, but there's something to be saved. And when you're talking expertise, this is why Ashley Zager is someone you should seek out, right? And talk to, you know, all these things. We're talking about packaging now, so that's great. So what mistakes do you see B2C branding make when it comes to packaging? So kind of what we were talking about earlier with the customization and the specialization, I really like things that can work together. So you may need an external box that it might be a little bit bigger. As we just said, like make sure your box is the right size. If it fits under that dimension and it can be one size, but actually fit three or four different products, maybe you need one different insert. So I've come across brands that had an exterior box with an interior box, this framework to hold the two together. And it was all about this unboxing experience. Every item they sold was unique and they had 60 different packaging pieces that combined to make about 20 different things that they shipped out. We re-looked at all of their packaging and took it down to like, okay, what if we use six boxes and we had maybe 10 different inserts? If it's a molded pulp insert, if it is a tray, I've worked with a really smart company that made me a tray once. It was glorious. You take out the tray, one product fit. You put in the tray one way and something sat perfectly on top. You flipped over the tray. The legs were a little bit taller and a different product fit perfectly on top. So I was able to use one external box, one internal tray, but perfectly built for three different products that would ship out. So it was keeping that realm of like unique experience and nice looking appropriate sized packaging, but didn't create the operational headache of 60 different individual units to store, not to mention Instead of buying three different external boxes for those three different products, we could buy one. And that's basic economies of scale. You're buying a higher volume and you're having to store less, less SKUs, less pallet positions. That's how you start winning on that monthly bill. Yeah, that's great. And talking about savings, yeah, the packaging drives the experience, but not everything has to be in a box, right? I mean, we've taken some customers out of the box, which has a fairly significant cost all on its own, and hopefully it's the right cost because it's the right size, to a poly mailer. There are some products that lend themselves, don't put it in a box, don't go to that trouble. You can throw it in a mailer, you can drop it in a mailer. We have automatic machines that just seal it address it, and it comes in a poly pouch and the product is protected with a puff of air. And we've saved some customers upwards of 20, 25% on the cost of shipping just by going from a box to a mailer. You have any experience with that with some in your portfolio company? Yeah, same stories. And everybody wants that unboxing experience that's Instagram real, and it's not a tweet, TikTok, whatever people are making videos and experiencing like this opening and this glorious like, oh, as the light comes out. That's great. And we can do it in a mailer. You can design something beautiful and has graphics on the outside. And actually, you can just drop product in 
I think at this point, we've probably all gotten the Amazon padded mailers. And if you haven't noticed, which probably the people listening have, that little white strip that's like a bonus inside. It's like your product, maybe a packing slip and this little white strip. It's the tape strip thrown right back in the bag. I love seeing this. I'm like, this warehouse is smart. There's no waste all over their floor. They are banging out orders, not taking time to even like that ergonomic turn to throw something in the trash, but like a mailer, a product, throw it down. How many of those could we get in a tote versus boxes? And so same, we want to talk about sustainability. How many mailers can you fit on a truck before you, you know, close the latch and sell UPS like you're full? Off you go. You can fit so many more mailers. So you can tell that story to your customers like, We are fitting more in a truck. We are using less packaging. Much easier to store a mailer on a shelf than it is a bunch of boxes and the time it takes to build each box too. We're crushing that sustainable piece in another way now. So, and you've touched on much of this as you've spoken before, but I think we'll tie it together here. For people that are either thinking about or they're using a third party to handle their order fulfillment, what advice would you give for getting the most out of that relationship, that third party, and how is it best to actually manage that relationship? Yeah, so we talked a lot about communication and I go back to technology is like figure out what is working for that warehouse. And this might be by spending time with the warehouse team. If they're using bins, rolling carts, pulling from pallets, how does the operation work at the warehouse? And then is there anything that you can do in the way that you inbound product? Sometimes it's height. I got an email last week like, hey, you know, everything used to be five high. Suddenly it's six high and we have to downstack every pallet find a new palette before we put things away. So it's like, how can I be a good partner? Like make sure it comes in easy and easy to use. Yeah. And with the technology piece as well, I am not like an API guru. I'm not writing code or understanding things um, in that manner. But what I do know is what that packing list pick ticket needs to look like and how to make it that, again, easy for the warehouse. So I'm working with a brand right now that you can buy an option and it's a one pack, two pack, three pack, four pack, five pack. You get to decide how many people you're paying for this subscription for and how many you're getting. On the marketing side, the retention side, sales side, of course, we want to be able to pull reports and see how many people bought one at a time, two at a time, three at a time. That's great. But at the warehouse, when you are pulling four of something to go in a box, it's four of one thing. It's three of one thing. So rather than having, you know, too much pre-kitted in the wrong pattern, how can you use aliases at the warehouse to break it all down? We see this as well at Christmas, these like holiday bundles that people sell. I would say there's probably a time and place for pre-kitting. But don't pre-kit them. (laughs) Use technology that that pick list says, okay, when it comes in and it's like Harry's favorite three items, it's not they run to the shelf and grab those three items at once. Just have it pop over in blue pens, black pen, and pink pen. Those are the three things that the warehouse sees. They don't care that it's Harry's favorite item bundle. Just use that technology of what the warehouse is used to using, what they know that they can fulfill and process quickly, like speak in their language, and then let marketing and sales have their go of which bundles sold the best. Have that reporting, use technology to make it easy on the warehouse so that again, they can just crank out those orders fast. 
you mentioned technology and you're right when you partner with a company like Amware Fulfillment, a big 3PL, because we do 17 million shipments a year, we can't afford the cost of technology. And some of the things that we take advantage of, we actually have robots now in the warehouse, something we didn't have two years ago. They don't do the picking, but they actually do the traveling in our warehouse. They bring product to and from pickers to packers. And they avoid all that time you're spent walking in a warehouse. The robots just do the simple walking for us. Things like pick to light, to increase speed, efficiency, and accurate voice picking in multiple languages where we have many associates who don't speak English, but now can function fully in a warehouse because they're getting their instruction in the language that they understand. Something I never thought I would see is we fly drone missions in our warehouse at night unmanned, and they run around, they do inventory checks, they do location checks. Just over the last few years, what we've been able to take advantage of from technology Again, just to help us be more efficient, get greater throughput, because you can only hire so many people. You can only fit so many people into a physical space. So when you grow, it's not a function of just adding people. You've got to get smart how you handle customers' growth. And that's why we really rely on technology and fortunately can afford to do so. The other thing that I would say that I think you mentioned is for your provider, make sure that the measurements are clear, right? The KPIs. What is it you really expect me to do? Is 99% okay? Is it 99.5? Is it 90? What's going to make you happy so that there's an objective rating or a report card, if you will, for the third-party provider? I mean, for me, the worst thing that happens is someone sits down in a quarterly business review and they're trying to think of the last thing that went well or didn't go well. That's what they want to talk about as opposed to, hey, it's like I come home to my dad with my report card. If that thing wasn't over 90, it wasn't going to be a pleasant evening and weeks follow on to that, right? So the report card is key. And you can argue about whether it should be 95 or 96, but you can't argue whether it is 95 or 90. The number is the number and you've got to figure out what makes you happy, what can you live with, and then over time, you improve that, right? It was 95 last quarter. It's 96, 97. So you you get yourself into a management position of where it's continuous improvement, that it's ever upward. Yeah. And I'd say from the brand side, I like to take extreme ownership in things of like, if the warehouse is at 96%, what are we doing that's causing confusion? What are we doing that is slowing them down? If I get a really high kidding price, my question is going to be like, how could we make this easier? What's creating that price to be high? Or why are we messing this up? If we did something in a different color, if we had a different quantity in that box, if we push to use a pick to light system, what else could we do and support as a brand? Again, maybe it's SLA on inbound and like, why are my inbounds always taking 48 hours? Well, you stack them too high and it's obnoxious. Great. We can fix that for the brand to take ownership. And what can we do to help and be that partner again to the warehouse? Great stuff. Ashley, where can people go to find out more about you and City online? Yeah. So our website is citycapital.co and all our good information and friends are listed on that website. We also have got a LinkedIn page, but most of the juicy stuff's on the website. Great. Thank you for that. Well, that does it for another episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.